Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Razorback fans and welcome to a special edition of the Hog Talk podcast. Uh, this morning I've got with me Mike Irwin of the Pig Trail Nation. As always, we're live from the Amigo Provisions Company Studios. We are part of the Believe in Buzz Radio Networks where you can hear us on all podcast platforms as well as the Buzz 2 in Central Arkansas at 106.7. So please like, rate, and review our podcast. Uh, all live shows are uh, presented by Arkansas Brewing Company in Ozark, Arkansas. This is Jacob Davis. And I will be your host. Uh, luckily, we are blessed to have Mr. Mike Irwin of the Pig Trail Nation on. And we're going to talk a little bit about his career uh, covering the Razorbacks, some of his favorite stories. We'll also talk about last night's victory over Auburn, what it means going into tonight's game against Texas A&M, and several other things. As always, fans are invited to interact with us in the comments below. And Mike, I appreciate you coming on this morning, sir. Hope you're doing well. I know you're a little bit under the weather, but we're blessed to have you on, sir. Good to be here with you. Yes, sir. So 1975 is is the year that you started covering the Hogs, and a lot of things have changed since then, including seeing uh, payers actively paid. Uh, I mean, out in the open, we've seen uh, the Razorback football team go up and down. What are some of the things like that you've seen change that noticeably changed in uh, in in the past forty five years around all of college athletics and especially in Fayetteville? Well, in, in Fayetteville, what's changed are the facilities. I mean, when I got here in seventy five, the stadium I was shocked because I'd grown up hearing about Arkansas, but Razorback Stadium was terrible. Now. You know, trips down to War Memorial, that was different. War Memorial Stadium was the stadium in those days, much nicer than Razorback. But the first time I came around the corner down North Street and saw that stadium, the view was pretty with those mountains in the background, but the stadium looked terrible. And uh, in those days, you had to walk all the way up through the stands and then walk up this ladder to get, get up to the press box. You had to be in pretty good shape to make it up there. Um and, you know, Barnhill was just a barn. You know, it was named after John Barnhill, but it looked like a barn. Uh, baseball stadium was, you know, it was it had that weird astroturf, and it was down where the football practice field is now. And, you know, you had no indoor, and uh, they didn't even have a, the, the tennis facility yet. So it was pretty rudimentary, but it was fun. Uh, I'd covered – from a station in East Texas, I'd covered the Dallas Cowboys and Rangers for a year. I thought that might be fun. I did totally 
who rejected pro sports after a year. I just thought this stuff stinks. There's an attitude that professional athletes have that some people might like. It turned me off. They didn't look like they were having fun. It was look back. It was all about money and what, what can you do for me? And sports to me has always been fun. It's something you do because you want to do it. So I took a shot and took the job up to come up here. And Frank Broyles was such a easy person to work around. I mean, people today, I was talking yesterday with those guys, other guys in the media, the younger guys, as we waited to get into the indoor and what the rules were going to be for covering spring football. I told him, I said, you know, under Frank, there were no rules. You just went in there and shot what you wanted. He talked to you about anything. It was so easy to do your job back then. He, he really got the media. He understood that we don't have to be his enemy. We can, you know, he told me one time, he said, the only bad publicity for Arkansas is no publicity. I want publicity. So I really enjoyed working around him. That's one of the reasons I stayed that and the fans because I'd grown up in the watching Southwest conference games at Jones stadium in Lubbock. And I would see all those other uh, teams come in and their fans. And I had to, sit in the visitor section because that's all I could afford when I was a kid. And I, I got a pretty good feel for for the fan base around the Southwest Conference. I really developed a dislike for Texas and Texas A&M early on. But the Razorback fans were great. They came in. They weren't smart, Alex. They didn't try to – they didn't downplay the local team, Texas Tech. They seemed to know a lot about the, you know, the team every year, the, the team they were playing, the Texas Tech team. And I just, I just thought I'm going to take a shot and go up and be around those fans for a while and see what they're like. And they're the best. There's, there's no fans anywhere in America like Razorback fans. And it, and it bleeds over to, to basketball and especially baseball now. What, what is it about the aurora of Razorback baseball that gets the blood flowing these days now in, in your perspective? Well, I think it helps that, if you've got ESPN three, you can watch almost all the games. I mean, there was a time when you couldn't do anything like that. And so baseball was strictly a spectator sport. I think it took off with the creation of bomb stadium. You know, I was around Frank when he went around the country trying to come up with ideas for having that stadium built. He looked at other stadiums and uh, got the best ideas and, the best idea he had was that concourse, the idea that you walk in on ground level, but then the field is down below you. And that concourse is so wide, you know, a lot of fans and I'm included, I, they don't like to sit. They like to stand up and move around. And he created that concourse area for people to just walk around and, and look and, you know, you're not blocking anybody's view because the seats are down below you. And there's just an energy in that place that's always been there. And I think that's where it started. And then it, even if you can't make it to the games, if you're around the state, you can watch all those games on ESPN. ESPN3 is the best thing that's ever happened. I mean, if, you, if I'm sick, if I'm off, because I'm usually off Tuesday and Wednesday, so I miss a lot of football or basketball and baseball games. But I can sit here right here in my house and watch the games on TV, and that that's – something I never would have dreamed years ago. Yeah. And I love going into Razorback Stadium for football games. There's just something about it, just as a fan still. And I, I cover the team real loosely. You know, I share my thoughts, and I'm a very 
I, I, you know, you've seen me on Twitter. I can be very uh, <laughs> obnoxious in some of my uh, viewpoints, but man, there is just something about walking into Razorback Stadium, and it still gives me chills. And I've been a fan since I was a little kid, but going to games, it just there's just something about the place. And I didn't really know how it would feel when you enclose the uh, northeast end zone and. You just look around, and it's just one of the be- most beautiful spectacles in all of college football. And that's what you were bringing up earlier was, you know, how ugly and how terrible the facil- or the facilities were, especially the stadium. But, man, there is just something about looking in to Razorback Stadium now. And it, I really think it's one of the most beautiful stadiums in all of sports. What do you think about that? Yeah, it was another Frank idea. He went around, tried to figure out what he could do to make it better, and – uh they spent about $100 million in 2000, I think, is when they completed it. Mm-hmm. But it just ch- totally changed. Before that time, War Memorial was the better stadium. And now nobody wants to play in War Memorial anymore because it hasn't been updated. But I agree with you. It's a great place to watch football now. It's enclosed. Uh, the sound carries better. And Razorback fans are about as loud as any fans I've ever been around. I've been to all the other SEC stadiums. And, uh, you know, Tennessee is really loud. Uh, it's loud in Tuscaloosa. It's loud in Athens, Georgia. But when Razorback fan, when you're having a really good season and the fans are really into it, I still remember that Texas game, what, three years ago, two years ago. I mean, Razorback fans can get as loud as any fans you'll ever want to be around. And the stadium now reflects that. And, uh, that's a credit to Frank for doing what he did. And then they came back and did some stuff to the north end zone, which com- kind of completed the process. And uh, the only thing that's wrong now is a, they still need better parking uh, <laughs> for the fans. It's still scattered out pretty good. But I think, you know, I, I told them over at the athletic department, I said, if you'll hire me for $150,000 a year, I'll develop you a, a basic plan for all your facilities that'll make the fans <laughs> happy. Now, you, you're going to have to give me about a billion dollars, but I would create a, a road that would come right off the interstate and go right up next to the football stadium, and it would make those people that live in that neighborhood mad, but you could come right in there and park and get out of there so you don't have the traffic jams. You'd have uh, underground parking all around the stadium. I would develop underground parking, so you've still got all that space above. And then out to the west of Razorback Stadium, they need a big tailgating area with statues of all the famous players and coaches in the past, terrace it up that hill with places for people to sit, uh, carry that on around to that north end zone lot, let people tailgate on the top and park park underneath. I could spend their money if they have it. It's easier to spend a lot of people's money when uh, it's not yours that's being spent, right? <laughs> that's right. Hey, that's right. So while while we're on the topic of the football stadium and, and the football team, you know, they started football practice yesterday and there just seemed to be a little bit of of you know, just feel good going into spring practice. I watched some of the videos uh, that that the Arkansas Razorback football team put on uh, Twitter or TikTok, whatever social media uh, page they used. But, and there just seemed to be like some kind of hype around the team this year. You see the smiles on the faces of Rocket Sanders and A.J. Green and uh, the transfers like Andrew Armstrong and Isaiah Tesla. What do you do? You think there is a difference? Do you think there is an energy, different energy level that Sam Pittman is going to bring to this team this year? And how are they going to sustain, uh, sustain that 
going into 2023? I think a lot of it depends on these these grad transfers that they're bringing in. That's become more and more of a factor as time has gone by. We saw what Musselman was able to do in basketball, but but Sam's now going heavily into it with football. You know, it's very hard to watch one day of practice and come to any conclusions. You know, I, I was checking out the two backup quarter, the two backup quarterbacks, the two new guys. They look like they can throw it well. They've got, I think, four, three or four new receivers that all look pretty good. They, they're tall. That's what you look for, tall and fast. I was also watching the defense and looking at the new defensive coordinator, the new secondary coach. Those guys are very inter- energetic, and there's some – there's some new guys out there, and I could tell they were new just because I hadn't seen, the, 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 especially in the secondary, the height that they've got back there now. There's not too many 5'10 guys back in the secondary anymore. They're all up 6'1", 6'2". So they look pretty good. They look fast. They look physical. Uh, Coach Pittman said in the offseason, the winter conditioning program, he, he felt like they dropped off a lot and even went so far as to fire his strength coach and brought in a new guy, and he seemed to be happy with where they are right now. Pittman himself stopped practice maybe three times early on and just went nuts. He was mad. People that see him as this jolly guy that's always happy and, you know, easygoing, they've never been around him during a football practice because he – I remember Barry Odom in one of his early uh, Zooms was talking, somebody asked him what it was like to work around such a nice guy like Sam Pittman. He said, (laughs) he's not always nice. When he's not happy, he has no difficulty whatsoever letting people know how he feels. And then a follow-up question was, well, now you were a head coach, you're on this staff in part to advise him. And he said, yeah, I advise him, but he has no trouble at all telling me when he doesn't want to listen to my advice. Because if he thinks what I'm telling him is not right, then he just tells me, no, I'm not doing that. And he was also influenced heavily by Kirby Smart. So I think we're at a transition phase for him past that first staff and now into a new phase where it's, he puts more of his stamp on the program. I like the coordinators that, that he, the coordinators that he hired. I like the uh, other assistant coaches. There's an emphasis on recruiting, and there always has been. That's the thing that opened his eyes when he got to Georgia. If you go back and look at where Georgia was, the transition from where they were to where they are now happened pretty fast. I mean, I don't think anybody would have dreamed that they would be right there above Alabama right now, which is where they are two straight years winning a national championship. And he did that with recruiting. And I think that made an impact on Sam Pittman. He said the number one way we turn this program around, we got to get better players. And you don't get better players – by having three guys on your staff that recruit and the rest of them don't. And that's been pretty typical in my time here. There would always be three or four guys that were their bird dog type recruiters and a lot of the others, especially the coordinators, didn't do it. You cannot stay on Sam Pittman's staff if you don't land players. He fires them. We've seen him fire guys. So I think every time he hires an assistant coach, the first you, thing you look at is what is that guy's reputation as a recruiter? And that's where you'll see where he's going. Yeah. And he's done a real good job. I mean, especially with the Woodson and the Travis Williams, the Morgan Turner, uh, Deron Wilson, who even has a incredible track record with his family. I mean, his family is stout recruiters too with Frank Wilson down there at LSU. So it's really exciting to see what they can do. I mean, I've seen more – five-star top 100 type of guys being Fayetteville in the past three months. And I think we've ever really seen before 
outside of the one year of, of Chad Morris. Um, if you could tell Arkansas fans that are watching this or are going to listen to this uh, later on, what is one reason to be optimistic about this team maybe getting back to the 8-9 win uh, regular season uh, going into next season and 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 maybe kind of uh, uh, maybe kind of improve off of what they did last year? Well, I've always said that fans wrote more into last season than was there. What basically happened, they didn't drop off. They had injuries that they didn't have before. You know, K.J. Jefferson missed two games completely. They lost both of those games. He was physically 100% in a third game, and they lost that game. So that's three of your losses right there directly attributable to the fact that you did not have an adequate backup quarterback. The other problem with the backup quarterback that they had, he was such a different type quarterback that they had to come up with a special package for him and waste time when they thought he might play in a certain week working on that package. You've got now got two guys that have come in here that are like KJ clones. They, they're the same type quarterback and they're not going to have to do a special package. So I think one difference is you've got a little bit of an insurance policy. If you get your quarterback hurt now, they still have to, to develop those guys, but, and we'll see how that goes. But that's, that's one difference right there is just, you got to, you got to come up with a better plan for if, if your quarterback gets hurt, especially when he runs as much as KJ does and when he just bulls into people. I would expect Dan Enos to back him off of that a little bit, to say to him, we don't want you running over people. When you look like you're about to get hit, go down. I know you like the challenge, but that's not good for us. The other thing is they had so many injuries in the secondary, and people got all over Barry Odom. The average fan on the Internet drives me nuts because they've always got an opinion, but they don't base that opinion on any sort of reality. You can't lose five to six guys in the secondary early in the season to injuries. and They weren't all gone at once, but you have two out, then they come back, two others are out, they had so much – they were moving so many people around and had so many issues there. He had to change what he was doing philosophically early in the season. But if you look at what went on with that secondary toward the end of the season, I mean, they had LSU beat. Mm -hmm. LSU scored 13 points on them. That would have been enough if Jefferson had played in that game. They ran all over Ole Miss offensively and held Ole Miss down until late when Sam kind of let up off the gas. So I think the secondary improved, and they've made it even better this year. So I don't think they really dropped off. I think they just had injuries, an unusual number of injuries, and I expect them to be right back where they were or better this year. And that, that goes back to the point of Kirby Smart and how I think Sam learned so much into Kirby Smart, and we've seen how much Sam says that he leaned on him. Do you think uh, that that they could become more of that, what we saw under Nutt and what we saw under Petrino under Sam Pittman? Do you think he can win the same amount of type of games that, that those two did uh, in the early 2000s? You know, again, there, there there's all kinds of theories out there. There are people that say that Sam only wants to coach about two more years and he's building that money for retirement so he can go to Hot Springs and go to the races. I've seen no real evidence of that. I don't know where they're coming from on that. I don't say that he'll be here at least 75. 
But I think if they're winning, why would he want to leave? He likes it up here. He's a guy that wants to be here. It's not very often that you hire a coach and he says, look, this is my last job. I'm not going anywhere else. And he put it in his contract. He's got such a prohibitive buyout that he really couldn't leave and go somewhere else. So he wants to be here. And the job is always more enjoyable if you're winning. I, I get a kick out of these fans that all say that it's all about money. That's because most of them have never been around these coaches personally. Yeah, it's nice to make, you know, $4 million a year, five, six, seven. But I guarantee you those coaches would give up a lot of that if it would guarantee them winning. Winning is still the biggest thing to them. I'm around them when they lose. I'm around them when they win. There's a huge difference. And – if they start winning eight, nine, ten games regularly, I don't see that Sam would be motivated to leave. And he reminds me a little bit of Frank in that Frank always believed that it's your staff. You have to hire the right people. And I think he's had so much turnover. And some people say that's a red flag. I don't think it's a red flag at all. He's trying to find the right people for the right jobs. Recruiting is number one, but they've also got to be able to coach. They've got to be able – they had a uh, – a secondary coach uh, two years ago that they all, he was a terrific coach, but the players, he was too intense. The players couldn't deal with him and they didn't fire him because they knew he was a good coach. They just said, Hey, why don't you go find another job? And he did. And he's successful. So again, Sam is tinkering with that staff. And as long as he does that, I think he's on the right path. And I think he could, you know, I've always been optimistic. I've always told people if Frank did what he did, and in the 1960s, Arkansas was number three for the decade in number of wins. They won a national championship. They came within a few points of winning two others. Uh, there was only one bad season in that whole decade, 67, and he had almost no facilities. The facilities were terrible. They had a little bit practice field and a half for grass. You know, they – it was so primitive, but he did all that. And if he can, if Frank could do that with what he had, there's no reason in the world why if you've got the right coach, you can't compete for SEC championships. To say you can't is an excuse. Yep. We're going to, we got about three or four minutes here left. I know that's, that's not much time to talk about Eric Musselman and what he has done in uh, basketball. What do you think about tonight's game as a matchup against Texas A&M? Uh, do you believe that they are squarely in the field of 68 going into March Madison Selection Sunday? Yeah, I believe in the, that they, you know, in the metrics they use in the, in the net numbers and all of that. They were in whether they won or lost last night. They actually won the game and dropped a little bit in their net numbers. So that's just the way that crazy stuff works. But Arkansas is right up there near the top of the SEC in net numbers. They're fine in that respect. They, they can probably increase their seeding maybe by one or two. You go from a, a nine maybe to a seven if, or even a six if you win the whole thing. I don't know that they need to try and win this whole thing. I, I know you, you go out every night and try to win it. I've never thought winning the SEC basketball tournament was that big of a deal. But what they did need to do was reestablish – and get themselves going. You didn't want to see this team. I don't think it would have been good for them to go into the tournament on a, on a five-game or a four-game losing streak. So now we know they've broken that losing streak. I do think it's important to win tonight. Aggies 
play really good defense. Arkansas tends to get they, – they, they look good early in games against a team playing really good defense, but they tend to get lazy and start trying to jack up those threes. And you just got to keep working the ball inside. Uh, Mikhail Mitchell is a key. I said that all, all last week. In that three-game losing streak, he stopped scoring. He stopped playing defense. He stopped rebounding. I think you saw what he did last night. He was a major factor. He bailed them out on several possessions with rebounds and putbacks. So I think he's a key to this game. But you've got to use Nick Smith Jr. and Anthony Black to penetrate their defense and, and dish off and don't throw wild passes. Make them accurate. The more assists you have, the better chance you got of winning the game. This is another game they need to win. They win these two games, and I don't think it matters after that. Yeah, I don't think so either. But, Mike, I appreciate you coming on. I know uh, 25 minutes isn't very much to uh, go off of, but I really appreciate you sharing some stories and, and sharing your thoughts on what the Razorback football team and basketball team are going uh, are gonna to do here in the future and, and – and maybe we'll see a victory tonight over AM. They're going to be tough. They're going to be physical. But Arkansas showed that they could almost beat them on the road. So, uh, Hog fans, yeah, I, I think appreciate they'll win. You all I listening. do. You, I think so, too. I think, uh, I think they've got a very good chance. But, Mike, I appreciate you coming on. And anytime you're welcome to be back on, I'll, uh, if, if we ever, if, uh, if we ever have an open slot, we're going to bring you back on again, brother. I appreciate you, sir. See you. All right. Hog fans, thanks for joining. As always, uh, all live shows are brought to you by the Arkansas Brewing Company up in Ozark. Uh, and uh, just a couple of more things. If you, uh, as you see, I've got a shirt on here. It's got some hog and some camo. Uh, it's, it's a shirt made by the Amigos Provision Company. You can grab one of those. Uh, and you also can get uh, one of these hats from the university traditions, and uh, they are all linked on my Twitter if you want to find those there. Um, as always, you can like and review and rate our podcast on all podcast platforms. As always, I'm your host, Jacob Davis. Porter will be back and joining with me on Sunday to recap everything, and we'll talk about Selection Sunday. Hog fans, see you next time. This was a special episode of the Hog Talk podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.